Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to have you here on board. And, uh, you know, we're back gearing up for another football season right around the corner. And I thought it'd be great to have a great guest. And we're lucky enough to be joined by Dave Brown. He works for Gridiron, gridironstadium.com. And, folks, this is the guy... I know him way back with the ESPN days, spent close to 28 years at ESPN, and now is doing his own thing for scheduling with college football. And he's your guy, in case you're ever wondering why a matchup happens, what time slot, what network, he is your guy. So with that, we welcome Dave. And uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Mike, great to be here, and thanks so much. Um, so Dave, let's just get into it right off the bat. I mentioned you spent 28 years at ESPN. Um, what, what, first of all, where did you grow up and was sports always your passion before you got to ESPN and, uh, in football, I assume? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in, uh, upstate New York and Syracuse and, uh, Rochester went to Lehigh, went back up there after I left. And then, uh, I got to ESPN in 1987. I'd had two other jobs before that. And, uh, you know, Mike, it was a great thing to be a part of. I mean, we knew we had a chance. I, it was on the cusp of uh, something great. And so after I got there, we got uh, the first NFL deal on cable, and then we got a Major League Baseball deal, and that was the first cable deal. And then it was off to the races. And obviously we rode a real wave of – just increasing number of households. People paid us more money. Uh, we had great rate increases. And so the business was uh, out in front of it. And uh, it was just a great thing to be a part of. And you got to work with so many incredibly talented people that uh, it was the ride of a lifetime. And you mentioned the other sports as well. Was college football always like your niche, your go-to, or was it really across the board? And then you kind of just focused on college football later in your career. Well, I got in there and I started out in the finance department. I did three years there. And then wow. I met a guy, Tom O'Jackson, who was the college basketball programmer. And I was a big college hoops fan as well as a college football fan. And so I, he gave me my start uh, coming off the court of the, kind of the corporate staff in the finance department and working in a line position, supporting them in college hoops. And then he went to the Big East and then I took over is the lead hoops programmer. And I did that for about uh, seven or eight years. And then I switched over to football and probably one of the luckiest career moves I ever made. Uh, But uh, I switched over to football and I did that for 12 years. And so it was, uh, I guess I compare it, Mike. I mean, basketball is like scheduling motorboats. Think of many motorboats out on the water. They have 32 games a year, and games can be played two days apart. Football, it's one game a week, 12 games a year, and it's more like moving a battleship around. And so 
there's a lot more thought that has to go into football scheduling than hoop scheduling. Now, there's a lot of thought that goes into hoop scheduling. And you read articles all the time about people trying to maximize their schedules with high RPI teams so it'll get them into the uh, tournament. And people are always trying to find non-conference games and conferences hire people to try to, you know, get more bids. And so that is a big part of it. But football, it was just, it's always about finding games. There's a big guarantee structure to it. And so there's a supply and demand to that element. And so uh, I just really got into football scheduling. But when I did it at ESPN, when I took over, it was an incredible time. I mean, the sport Really, when you get right down to it, the BCS, and I know people rip it at the time, and it was transparent, but it probably wasn't very objective. But the BCS really started, I think it was one of the key things that really drove the popularity of college football. Because up until that point, you had two separate, you know, you had the media determining who won the national championship, if you can believe that. And so this got one to play two. Roy Kramer, the SEC commissioner at the time, still alive today, still gives interviews at 90-plus years old. The guy was just a savant, and he put the BCS together, and uh, it really drove the popularity of the sport. Because I think what it did is every week, starting in late October or whenever it was, you'd get a ranking system and somebody would get a score of 0.9940 and then the guy behind them would get 0.9937. And while that ultimately killed the BCS, but at least you know where you stood. And I mean, so if if the number one or two team lost on a given weekend, I could feel the eyeballs coming to us if we had a game that was key to determining who would be number one, two, or three in next week's poll. And so it was really, to have a scoreboard like that really drove the popularity of the sport. And it just made it a national sport because if you were close to getting into the one or two slot, you wanted to watch the other guys' games to see if they were going to win or lose. I mean, and it was really that simple. So it was a great thing for the sport. And, and then it, obviously the 14 playoff morphed out of that. And then it looks to me like one of these days here, they'll get around <laughs> and potentially expand it again. So but. let's get to that in a second. But first, backtrack. So what year specifically did you start uh, with the scheduling college football at ESPN? Yeah, 1999 was my so, first year. And I went up through 2012, I think. So you were right there, as you mentioned. No, 2010. 2010. So you saw that whole BCS era, like you said. Okay, so take me, say, spring 2000, spring 2001, or the earlier years. Uh, Just go back to that stage. What was it like coming up the schedule? Would you start in February, March? And how would you go all the way to Labor Day and and evaluate it week by week? I mean, it was uh, the, the first thing we probably tried to do was fill out the Thursday night schedule. And that was always a good challenge because you couldn't get certain people to play on Thursday night. Some people could do it. Some people couldn't. We really worked hard on the people that could. And I think uh, like Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Louisville really supported us. But I think just looking at it, you know, if, if I could rewind it and basically here's what we did. We wanted to increase the number of games. 
because we own the rights to the stuff, Mike, and we didn't use all of it. So we wanted to use as much of it as we could. So there were things like PGA golf, tennis, maybe some auto racing, all that stuff the company got rid of. And we just and saved money in the process and replaced it with stuff that more people watched and we could sell. Our ad sales team loved it. They wanted more games. And so I think when we started between ESPN and ESPN2, we did about 70 games a year. And when I left, I think we were up to 113. So basically that came from Friday nights. The NCAA in 2001 allowed Friday night football to go on. And then the other thing, we just used the 330 window for ESPN at the beginning when I started would go from 12 to 330. Then we'd put some other sport in there. We'd decide, well, we won't compete with ABC or CBS. Yeah. And then a guy by the name of Mark Shapiro said, the heck with it. We're going to go into the 330 window. He was exactly right. He took some crap at the time for it, but he was 100% right. Let's put as many games on the air as we can. We'll be able to sell them better, and we'll get more people to watch a football game, even if it wasn't to the quality of what you might see on ABC or CBS. It was still a pretty good game, and a lot of times you just want to jump into the pool and be in the biggest pool of viewers, and so it was great for us. And so those types of things really increased our game count, and uh, it was stuff we already paid for. And it was stuff we could sell. So the economics of it for the company were great. And that's a great point. I think people forget now in the day and age when there's games all the time, all day long. That You're right. ESPN, 3.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday in the fall, uh, didn't have college football until you, Mark Shapiro we mentioned dark. it. And, and so. we fixed it pretty quick. We got into it. ABC didn't love it. But uh, a few years later, ABC Sports and ESPN, ESPN basically took over ABC Sports. Yeah. So in 2006, I got to be the ABC programmer, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was great. So we did ABC and ESPN, and George Bodenheimer, our great president at the time, he became the president of ESPN and the president of ABC as sports as well. And I, I that's very interesting. My next question is – what are the ingredients that you look for? I know there's probably a million answers in a big-time matchup. Say for like an ABC now Saturday Night Primetime versus a 3.30 ESPN. What, I know what, what goes into play. Cities, uh, markets, that, in terms of... No, not really. Basically, the first three weeks are the only ones you have to commit to. And then the games kind of play their way on after gotcha. that. So gotcha. that's one of the great things about college football. I mean, you don't pick the games. The games play their way on. And so you didn't have to commit to anything after the first four weeks because one of the greatest things about the sport is it is impossible to predict on a week-in and week-out basis who is going to win a game. That's what makes it so popular. Upsets happen. You can't say, oh, they're going to win. Well, prepare to be disappointed. Because the team won't win. Somebody will upset them. So basically, though, I can tell you this. Here are the teams. You're always looking for the most highly ranked teams. And obviously, the BCS really helped us with that. Because we could attach a number and put it on our promos. Number two, number one, number three, number four. That meant something to people. And so that was a big driver for us. 
And then there are certain iconic franchises in this business, and they're still here today. I mean, you've got the Michigans, the Ohio States, Notre Dame's, uh, USC, all those guys. Now, look, a highly ranked team like Oregon, if they were highly ranked, people are going to watch them, no doubt about it. And that was one of the great things about it. It didn't matter. You know, people are going to watch when West Virginia got great in that 2007 series. Hey, I don't care if there are only 2 million people in the state. They were fighting to get in the BCS, so people are going to watch them. And so the game sort of determined it. But sure, if the team was highly ranked like an Ohio State, a Penn State, a Michigan, uh, USC, guys like that, Texas, Oklahoma, those were, there are probably about 10 teams that are a little bit different than everybody else in terms of a natural draw. But people will flock to who's ever highly ranked at the time. And that's still the same thing today. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Is there a team out there that consistently surprises you for how well they do with ratings where on paper they might not do well? No, but I would tell you when Boise had the years they had, I mean, Boise really did well for us. People loved watching them. And at the same time, when Oregon got popular and made the BCS title game in 2009, people watched them big time. They, they kind of came out of the woodwork, but people watched them. Very. So that's, that was the great thing. It, it made your job easy, really. I mean, because you knew if you had the right matchup, you'd get people to watch it. Now, there's a lot that goes into it in terms of having the right matchup in there. Uh, you had to use your six-day picks to adroitly. You couldn't blow them. You had to make sure and just – we used to do all kinds of projections in terms of how's this guy going to look by the time November rolls around. We, we'd roll through it in the summer and just try to plot it out. What do we got for inventory that week? How deep are we? Do we have enough to make the work week? the week work you know some weeks we did some weeks we didn't you know there were some weeks where you'd say eh, boy that's not the greatest saturday night primetime game we've had but we had to deal with it but a lot of weeks we hit it pretty good and i know you at your to put bow tie in your espn time you did a lot of new features with the kickoff series labor day week and those matchups and also abc saturday night prime just talk about yeah, your those work i mean it was well abc saturday night that was the brainchild of a guy who was the head of ABC Entertainment at the time, Steve McPherson. I give the guy a ton of credit. It was an unbelievably great idea. And, you know, 17 years later, it's still here. And so, and copied by many people. So the guy, hey, we own these rights. The Walt Disney Company owned the rights to these games. We did not have to pay more for them. We did not have to, you know, commission scripts addition shows cancel them none of that i mean so it was just an incredibly efficient use of resources for the company then they expanded it into the nba and so that was that was great uh, just a great idea for him but yeah 
that was one thing that I really, and that, that's the business I'm in today, Gridiron. I put games together for people and I really got into that. And really it was about just adding as much inventory that was programmable, usable, and even if our competition got it, the more inventory we had, a rising tide leads all boats or right raises all boats. So if they pick the game that we put together, so what? We'll deal with it. That means we got a better selection on the next game. If there's more inventory out there, the worst thing as a programmer, if you're thin on a given week and there's just not that much out there, and you see it certain weeks of the year, then it's a tough weekend but you always want to make sure you try to get as much inventory into the pool because you always have a lot of places to program it great segue to my next part next part of your career talk about your transition to gridiron gridironschedule.com what's evolved that organization and how many coaches do you talk to and administrators do you talk to uh throughout the weeks well uh not many not many coaches do it the scheduling they the administrators the people that run the department or the lead football scheduler for the athletic department they run everything by the coach they get their thoughts on it but coaches obviously have many other things to do and scheduling isn't one of them so basically the business works where the options go in front of the coach they get the coach on board and then it then we start doing contracts if we uh, if it works for both teams, so that's really the matchmaking business. But you're always looking for people that can go on the road first, and if you have that, then you say who's looking for a home game, and then you just try to match them up. It's really pretty simple stuff, but that's really how it works. Can you go on the road? And so for conferences like the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big Twelve, they have nine conference games. So you're always looking when somebody has five conference games at home, that's when you want to put them on, then you put them on the road because most people, just about everybody wants seven home games, financial, competitive, everything. So you don't ask people to do stuff you know they can't do. You ask them to do things you know they can do. And so it's really that from that standpoint, pretty simple. But with the age of the internet and we had some good people at espn who helped us with this we we came up with an internet-based scheduling platform called pass and it really answered a lot of questions and tried to get everybody in in all the conferences on one page and uh, on one platform so that everybody knew what everybody else had and it was it was good now we, out of 55 thing, out of 50 projects that our computer guys have, you know, fixing the college football platform was probably going to weigh in at about 55. I mean, our guys just had so many things to do uh, that drove revenue for the company that there's only so much you could ask them to do. They were short staffed like everybody else. Yeah. So I said to myself, you know, this might, and I love scheduling, and I said you know what, let me see if I can take a shot at this. So, but my last couple of years at ESPN, I worked on this project on the side and I hired a programmer to do it down in Austin and we worked on it. And it took me about two years to get ready to go. And then I just left the company and launched it. So uh, this was something I always knew that I wanted to do. And, uh, and I got started on it. 
And then, so just talk about then locally with schools in this area, uh, Boston College, first of all. Just talk about, in your opinion, have you ever talked to them and what goes into their scheduling process as a Power Five uh, ACC member? Yeah, they're, they only, they have four games a year to get. So it's, uh, here's the thing about BC and for everybody out there from Boston, they know what a great place it is. Everybody always wants to play BC. Really? Always. Great location, great place to play, great donor trip, great fan travel tip, trip. If they come in September, they might be able to catch a Red Sox game. Keep counting up the reasons. So BC always can get people to play them, and it's just such an attractive destination. So they have eight games from the league. Then, obviously, they splice in with the rotation with Notre Dame. They get a fair amount of Notre Dame games, and obviously, BC and Notre Dame have played for years. So they get a lot of Notre Dame games. But basically, BC generally will play eight conference games. Some years, they'll have two Power Five games. That gets them up to 10. And then there's one FCS they'll play, like everybody else in the business plays an FCS. And so they'll grab a New Hampshire, a Maine, yeah. one of those guys. And then the other one might be a group of five. And they've played UMass. They've played UConn. I mean, and that's basically how they'll do it. So if you look at BC's schedule, you just say to yourself, they get some great games on there besides Notre Dame. You know, they played Stanford. They played Michigan State. I think they did, you know, Missouri. But uh, their scheduling, that's pretty much how it goes. You'll see one power five, one or two group of fives, depending on the year, and then an FCS opponent. What do you think a dream matchup would be from a BC perspective? Uh, I guess for, yeah, for, for, from BC, who would they want to play in a way? Well, it's outside of Notre Dame? I mean, they are going to play Alabama. Yeah. Uh, and so that'll be kind of cool. Way back in the day, I think Doug Flutie may have done, they may have played Alabama. Oh, yeah, they did. They had a series they with did. Clemson back in the day. And he, he played against the fridge. Uh, and so, you know, those are the ones for BC. You know, BC just had, they had a series with USC a couple of years yeah. ago. I think Stanford's yes. on there. Uh, but they did, you know, they are going to play Alabama, which is pretty cool. So uh, Ohio State in about 10 years, I yeah, think, too. Yeah, <laughs> they got Ohio State on there. So, I mean, hey, why not play? I mean, why not? You're not going to beat anybody unless you play. And I think it's you, – you, you can always say by the time these games come around, you know, we're always working to – get our program in the best possible position to play these types of games. And so you take the game because you just can't predict how good you're going to be because these games get done so far out. So, if, I mean, there's two prime examples right there, Mike. I think that really is a testament to just how popular playing BC is when teams like Ohio State and Alabama, who only have limited options to play people, they chose BC. Really, that simple. Just over about a minute left to go. What is sure. Dave? What is your your favorite game you've ever scheduled? Looking back on it, even going back to ESPN days, oh, where man. you were like, "Wow, that was a really impressive," and it was yeah, it got a great I'm rating. Say, Mike, that's a great question, and I'm going to give you this one: Boise State, Nevada, 2009, I believe it was. Colin Kaepernick against Kellen Moore and one and you talk about two guys those two quarterbacks were off the charts 
You had offensive masterminds and Chris Alt, the Nevada coach who's in the Hall of Fame, and Chris Peterson, who's just an amazing coach at Boise and Washington, and all kinds of playmakers. And it was almost the year where Boise almost made it into the one versus two. They lost that night, and that's how good Nevada was uh, with Colin Kaepernick, and they had a great running back and by Tawa. Remember, that was the game where, unfortunately, the Boise kicker missed a couple of kicks, wow. and that, that allowed Nevada to win the game. You know, if Boise had won, they might have gotten in. They were that close. And so that was probably, and a lot of people watched the game. I, I remember we had an Arizona-Oregon game right before it, and Oregon was playing their way into the uh, one-versus-two game as well. And Boise was that close, and there was Auburn and Alabama that day, and Alabama was beating them. And so Boise really had a chance to, uh, they were that close to getting in, didn't quite make it. But I think that just proves how great a program Boise was. But that was the game. I'll give the whack credit at the time. Carl Benson and Jeff Hurd out there, they had, uh, they had the good sense and we asked them to do it and they did it for us. But hey, let's put the Boise Nevada game on Thanksgiving Friday in, in prime time. And it, uh, it just rated great for us. So I just, that game, Mike, the meaning of the game and the plays made by both quarterbacks, both sets of receivers, running backs, everybody, it was just off the charts. One of my favorite games of all time. And then conversely, Dave, is there a game that disappointed, that didn't do as well? Uh, no, there's a, no, but I'll tell you one. Well, it kind of involved Boise. One time we put a Boise-Hawaii game on a Friday night, and I think the score was 69-3. to Hawaii, Hawaii scored first. So, so I mean, you had a little bit of both. I mean, you know, it was 69-3, to and Hawaii was ahead 3 to nothing. Ah, there, But, you know, sometimes uh, when you had a game that was a blowout, you probably didn't do as well as uh, – what you might have thought because you're going to lose viewers to other sports programming or everything else, general entertainment, or they just turn off the TV. But, uh, you know, Mike, I would tell you this. Generally, I knew by the time Saturday night closed up how well we did. I mean, sometimes it was better than I thought. Sometimes maybe it was a little worse than I thought, but we still did well. But you knew you all, you you really got a pretty good sense of how the Nielsen numbers were going to come in, and so uh, you know for that part, for that reason alone, it was pretty cool. And Dave, that's awesome. My last question: It's talking about scheduling college football. What are, what are some of your interests outside of football that you like to do in your free time? Oh boy, generally ride my bike, throw some iron around in the gym, there you go. work on my house with very rudimentary skills, uh, but I can do a few things like sand and paint. That's about it. Anything with skills, not for me. We turn it over to the professionals. Uh, <laughs> but those are the things I, uh, you know, that I like to do. Well, Dave, we, you know, I feel like I talked to you about this forever, but we thank you so much uh, for coming on and, uh, Talking about the gridiron, gridironstadium.com. And we, you know, wish you a lot of continued success with that. And it, it, I think we, we didn't even get into expansion, but, you know, there's going to be so much more to talk about in the next years, couple of years, and probably decades with college football and the ever changing landscape. Yeah, there are a few things out there now that'll be really interesting to follow. And so uh, with USC and UCLA going now into the Big Ten and, uh, 
just what that means for everything. Uh, there'll be a lot of articles written about it. I would just encourage the fans, you know, make sure you look at both sides of it. Don't take one article as gospel. Uh, do a little research and uh, because not everything that's printed is correct. And so uh, if you look around out there, you'll be able to make some informed opinions on uh, just how right the stuff is and uh, take it from there. So, Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Mike, anytime. Glad to do it. And thank you so much for having me on. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.